0: Hi, my name is Margaret, and you have ventured your way into the Beautiful Collision podcast. I believe when the bad, messy, hard parts of your life collide with the good, amazing, great parts of your life, they make you into the beautiful person that you are. On this podcast, you are going to hear from people from all walks of life, and my hope is that you resonate with some and embrace your own story. friends hey podcast listeners we are still in the where are they now series um today's guest is my sweet friend Danielle her episode was episode eight one of the initial episodes back it came out November 2017 um and so we have brought her back this conversation is going to be really fun definitely go listen to her first episode um first before listening to this one um I think it's definitely a continuation. You'll really enjoy it. Um, but in this episode, we talk about, again, where she's been. And so um, we talked about the fact that she is a doctor now. She is married now. So we spend a lot of time talking about those, how those com- shifts have really changed her life. Um, we actually spend time talking about what it's like to be a doctor in the season and um, during a global pandemic and being in COVID-19, what it's like for her and how much responsibility just being a doctor has put on her. And I think it's a really cool perspective to have a healthcare professional on the podcast. You also talk a lot about marriage, but specifically about cross-cultural marriage Um, and what that looks like and what that means and what she's just learned and realized because of that. This conversation is really, really exciting, really, really fun. I really think you're going to enjoy it. Literally, once again, this conversation really feels like we're just chatting. I press record and you're listening. So I try to clarify any inside jokes that happen, but um, I really think you're going to enjoy my conversation with Danielle. All right, here it is. All right everyone, we are back on the podcast once again. I am so excited again. I think I say that with every guest, but I really am. So we right now are in the Where Are They Now series and if you have not been a part of the series, um this series is I'm bringing back bringing back old guests from way before way before meeting like when I first started, so back in 2017. So it's this like November will be like I don't know. Oh my gosh, I can't do math. Three years. Um, And we're going to find out where they are now. So, today's guest who's back is Danielle. Say hey, girl. Hey. (laughs) She's waving, even though this is going to be a podcast. (laughs) So, you're not going to see her wave. (laughs) She forgot. But um, we are back um, on the podcast and we have Danielle. And so, there are going to be so many fun things you're going to, new things about her, because when I last recorded with you, Danielle, your last name was Danielle Clark.
1: It was, that is correct. <laughs> and do you have a new last name now? Yeah, funny, yeah, uh, yeah, my last name, I'm now Danielle Mebuguay.
0: And why is that?
1: Because I got married.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she got married, so we're going to, totally talk about that I'm I'm so excited so I don't know if you remember this from the last episode so when I recorded you when I when we did our recording from the first episode you're in we had only I listened to it back so we had only known each other for a year at that point which are you serious yeah I was like oh yeah I've been friends with Danielle for one year
1: (laughs) and oh my gosh really I thought it was like years I I don't know I just had this image that I'd known you like years and (laughs) years (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, cause I like, we met like in 2006, wow. you'd been here, like you'd been in Houston before me, but like when we connected, oh, I, yeah. when we connected at church, I it was like 2016 or something. So wow. that's, it's just crazy because now it's like, obviously four, four years, close to three, sorry, close to three years now, which is crazy. Um, yeah. And last time we were on, we had the podcast, um, we talked about the fact, so I went to school in North Carolina, for those of you listening that don't know, I've said that before a million times and we, she was, she was born in North Carolina, but grew up in Texas. And we were just talking about how the only thing she knew about Durham is like old people because she only vis- like she only went there to visit her family. And now where do you live?
1: <laughs> I live in Durham, North Carolina. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he lives in Durham, North Carolina. Okay. Tell us, tell the audience, the last three years, what are some like top three big life changes that have happened?
1: So I graduated medical school. So at the time I was a, I think a fourth year yeah. medical student. Now I am a doctor, Dr. Danielle Membougue, or Danielle Clark initially when I first got my doctorate. Um, and then I moved to Durham, North Carolina to go to residency here in pediatrics. So I'm studying to become a pediatrician. And then my second week of residency, I met a man in the hallway who I'm now married to. Oh, my <laughs> As of, We've been married just shy four months now, almost four months. Yeah.
0: Okay. So she, yeah, so she moved to North Carolina, met her husband, and now they're married, um, which is literally <laughs> insane. And so, yeah, those are some big life changes. So let's first talk about like career Life, like how has residency been? How is it like different than um, where you were, like obviously fourth year? But what, like, what has it been like, and kind of what are you, what are you thinking long term?
1: It is light years harder than medical school, but much more rewarding. Yeah, uh, medical school. I mean, at the end of the day, you're you're in the hospital, you get to enjoy it, but you're not doing anything for real. Mm-hmm. All my notes. Can't be billed, meaning that they they really don't matter. Everyone else has to write a note on top of mine. Whenever I put in an order or a prescription for a patient, it's like a fake prescription that someone else has to sign. But suddenly one day you become a resident, and all of a sudden I can sign the order. I can prescribe whatever I want within certain boundaries. I can I can see a patient in the emergency room and decide if they need to go home or stay in the hospital or go to surgery. Like I get to make all those decisions now. So it's way harder. but I'm I'm going into pediatrics, which I always knew I wanted to do, and that, this is absolutely like the job I wanted to have my whole life. Yeah. Like, it's so, so hard, but it is exactly what is like perfect for me. Yeah. Uh, but there are really hard parts about it. Um, that's for sure. Like, even yesterday, I had a patient pass away, and that's one of the many hard things that happens whenever you take care of anybody, but especially children, so I think it's come with a lot of challenge, but it's overall been awesome. <laughs> yeah how is
0: it how has it been working, like, in light of COVID nineteen as a pediatrician? I don't know if it affects the same way based off of what you do, pediatrics wise. But how has that how has that been? Because again, I haven't had a healthcare professional on the podcast since COVID nineteen started. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so you are the word of wisdom. <laughs> I'll say follow CDC guidelines, regardless of what I say. (laughs) But um, I mean, from my perspective, fortunately, because I take care of children, we've had much fewer children in the hospital than adults. So I think my hospital, right now, last I checked, had about 50 people admitted in the hospital. And that's just my specific hospital, not including all the other ones in the whole area. Um, But at least with children, it, it tends to be milder. They tend to be healthier. I've taken care of maybe two patients that had it we've had definitely more inside of our hospital overall Um, but fortunately our kids are doing pretty well it seems like there's some new i guess reports about these in what we call inflammatory syndromes or basically these kids having very exaggerated reactions to the virus which we've definitely seen a couple times so far Um, but fortunately i'm I've been very blessed to not um, be faced with the brunt of coronavirus yeah. patients like many of my adult colleagues. Yeah. Um it's very different for them. Yeah. But she does say follow CDC guidelines. Follow CDC guidelines. <laughs> do you have,
0: do you not, I, mean, <laughs> huh? I
1: said
0: do you legally have to say that or you definitely kind of it.
1: <laughs> No. It's that's another thing that has changed a lot is um like so much of my life has been planning what I was going to be. And then all of a sudden I became somewhat the thing that I want to be. Like, I, I remember when I was listening to our last podcast, you asked about like identity, like if you have any major, like identity struggles, and I really hadn't had any, because I'd always just been, I want to be a doctor later. Like, I want to be that in the future. But now once you become a doctor, people, it, it you get a very, I guess, uh, cautious about what you say, because People will take whatever you say with a lot more weight now. Yeah. Because I'm a physician. Like they'll like, for example, I'll post something on Facebook and then I'll find all my friends will share it and be like, a doctor said this. And then all these people share it like crazy. Yeah. And that's gonna yeah. definitely be a new experience. So I've learned how to be like very cautious with what I say because I know people will look at my profession and then think it applies a lot more broadly than they would have in any other situation. Yeah.
0: So I never really thought about that, but I actually want to talk about that a little bit. So, I mean, you are a doc, like you have a doctor title. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, you, you definitely started to talk about that a little bit, but yeah. What is that pressure? Like knowing that, like, I mean, people will either go one or two ways. They'll say, you know, a doctor said this. And so, Mm -hmm. and we, as people you just like to find the one thing that kind of like goes with what we want and then blast it everywhere. And then Mm -hmm. so many people, you know, so many people are going to heed to it. Do you feel a lot of pressure knowing that like one, there's one group of people that basically are going to listen to everything you say. And so if you say it, they're probably going to abide by it, but also pressure of the fact that if you say something and something goes wrong, like the, like the, the reaction from people, how, like, how is that, been in your first year of being a doctor or two years first.
1: So far, luckily, because I'm still on the bottom rung of the totem pole a physician. This is the funny part about becoming a doctor is it takes forever. So even though I've crossed the threshold that I'm a doctor now, I still am used to not being the only person who makes decision or I guess the final decision in a lot of situations. But I've learned there's a lot of It's a privilege for sure. Like I definitely would not, I wouldn't change it for the world. It's such a privilege and an honor that I get to live life with this. Um, But there's like a huge pressure on the other side of like, when I'm in the hospital, it's easy. When I'm in the hospital, I know exactly what my role is. And fortunately I had people like, um, there were a good number of doctors at my church that I would have dinner with when I was in med school who warned me about this, but they were very true. Like being a doctor carries a social precedent social presence outside of the hospital that no one teaches you how to do or handle. And so there are so many moments, for example, when I'm on the internet and I'll see a friend post something that is so medically inaccurate, like (laughs) just bad, like, oh my gosh, just crazy stuff. Um, And I really have this dilemma of like in that moment, being a doctor is a part of, it really does, it's, it's like my identity struggle right now. Like I'm a doctor, what is, where does that end? Because I just want to be a friend. Like, I just yep. want to be your Facebook friend and, and decide, you know, I agree with that or I don't. But now I feel like I have this responsibility mm-hmm. as a physician in our society. Like, do I comment on that and let them know that this is not okay and this is potentially harmful? Or do I be your friend, which for most of my Facebook friends, I was their friend before I was a doctor, right? And trying to decide, like, where do I stop this line? And I've had some friends who say, like, they feel like they're they would not feel like they had, what's the word? It would be a lack of integrity to not say something in those situations. For example, I'll have friends who are pediatricians. So as a whole, we are in favor of vaccinations. And I have a good number of friends who are very vaccine hesitant, for example. And I have some of my doctor colleagues at work and I have colleagues, my superiors who say like they will always try and educate their family and their friends because they love them and they care about them and they want them to be as healthy as possible. But then others say, you know, for my own mental health, I don't say anything unless someone asks me. So right. unless you ask me, I'm going to just be your friend. I'm not going to be your doctor. So you can say whatever the heck you want to say about anything medical. I'm not going to put that in. And I have yet to figure out where I'm going to land, because it's hard when you're passionate about something, yeah, and you feel like you could help your friends because you love them. But is that a burden I'm expected to carry when I'm at a family dinner? Yeah, or when I'm on Facebook or on Twitter, Ugh, it's a lot.
0: Yeah. No. I man, I I can't imagine that, and I never really. I mean, I have friends that are doctors um and I think most of my friends like I've met them as doctors or met like but no I don't really have any like deeply close friends, honestly, I have cousins that are about to get there, but I don't really have any deeply close friends um that I've walked through that you know been friends through that whole process, and I don't really thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense of just like the pressure or responsibility or weight that you now have and how to navigate that because you know health is such a big thing and wh- what you're doing or saying and putting out there like another person um can be can affect someone in a positive or negative way um and so yeah I can only yeah I can only imagine I mean I would probably call you do you ever get those people that like <laughs> you're like I'm a pediatrician I'm not like because I feel like when people have doctor friends too they literally call them for all things and we expect you to yes. know like all of it <laughs> even though yes. even though you're like just you know a pediatrician or just this yes.
1: what about uh. what medicine <laughs> do you take? gosh gosh and it's so funny and it's so true like side note this is why I think special like I think a lot of people think like oh we need to move back to where everyone like primary care is great and I really did want to do that for a long time But there is a lot of value to why we specialize because, like, and this is partially a testament to the Lord, like, the human body is so complex. And the idea that, like, one of us can just remember all this stuff is crazy. And I can tell you now, as someone who's just taking care of kids for two years, I'll have friends who are adults who are, like, having adult problems. Like, they have, like, type two diabetes or, like, high blood pressure. And they're asking me, oh, should I be on this? anti-blood, like, blood pressure medication or not, and I, like, I remember learning about it in med school, but I haven't touched that in two years, and it all just, like, falls out of my brain. Now, usually I'm happy when my friends have kids or something, and it's in within my realm that I'm happy to, like, give my input and whatnot, um, but gosh, when they ask me about, like, when they're old and they ask me about, like, a rash or something that they have when they're, like, 65 years old, I, I don't know.
0: So <laughs> no, yeah, I know. I, I... I think the more I'm friends with people like in the medical field, the more I have respect to, because I think as a person that's not in the medical field or someone that is, um, yeah, as a person that's not in the medical field, we can easily, um, we can easily judge doctors in the sense of, you know, if I ever had a bad experience with a doctor who like didn't know something or like something happened, we can easily just put all this blame and, right i mean yeah. you guys in a lot of ways you have our lives in your hands but in the same yeah, way too it's like you guys but i'm a human <laughs> yeah you're a human and you have str- you know stressors and you have your own life and stuff and i'm sure some people will listen to this and be like well that's not an excuse but the idea that even a doctor has to be perfect i know that's crazy to say but i think um like the idea to have that expectation in the sense that they will never
1: essentially make a mistake, but not, I'm not saying like, you know. that's exactly what, no, that's exactly it. And we talk about this in medical school, luckily of like, this is the presence people are going to expect of you is you are, you are the person of the whole team that mistakes are not accepted from. And the reality, the little secret Among all physicians, whenever we have private moments is every physician has made a mistake. Every single attending physician, which is like the highest level of physician that you get when you can start practicing on your own, every one of them has a terrible mistake story. They have a story where either someone, either they slipped up or missed something and it led to something bad happening. And everyone has this story. And it's so devastating because it's true. People's lives are in our hands. Like there's a reason that getting into medical school is so rigorous because there's a certain point where competency just has to be there. It just does because this is, this is a high risk job. It really is. I mean, there, it's so easy to make a mistake that can hurt somebody. Mm -hmm. And so you do want people that are detail oriented and are going to be in a way perfectionist because that's, I think what's best for society. Like I don't want any and everyone having the type of job that you have in a hospital, even not even just being a physician, working in healthcare is yeah. uh, a dangerous field. It's so like, I need my nurses to be just as de- detail oriented, if not more right. than I am. They're the ones watching these medicines go to the patient and administering them. But there is a point where all of us have to accept the fact that we are still human. And how do we, we often talk about the difference between guilt and shame um, that you can feel guilty about something happening to a patient and that should be in a way a good stressor to push you to not make that mistake again sorry this amber alert thing keeps going oh, yeah. <laughs> and i can't control it it's like which is a good thing let me try to stop.
0: <laughs> she has an amber alert on her phone y'all yeah. pause in the podcast
1: <laughs> but it wasn't it was a flash flood warning but everything looks fine so far so we'll see
0: Um, I'm not, I'm not cutting that out of the podcast.
1: This is real life. But you, but you were talking about guilt 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 and shame and And how guilt is okay. It is okay for me to say, wow, I shouldn't have ordered that medicine on that patient who was on a different medicine and had a bad reaction or had a bad um, interaction between those medicines. Um, It's okay for me to recognize that that was my fault and I need to learn from it so that this doesn't happen again. What we don't want to get into is shame Shame is that feeling of, it's a personal flaw about you. It's a it's a thing about you that makes you an inherently bad person or somehow unfit to do this job. And that's what breaks us down.
0: Mm-hmm. And how
1: do we balance like having enough guilt to help us move forward and recognize where we can make change and staying away from the shame side of things when you yeah. make
0: a mistake. Yeah. And it's hard because it's like, you understand maybe a family's emotions because it's like, it's very personal, but it's, you know, yeah understanding that yeah yeah it's it's I I don't ever I'm glad I'm not in that profession that I would lose I would lose my mind and I really have respect for people that do that and um go through that process because it is rigorous like every time (laughs) I'm like I hear someone say um they want to go to med school now knowing my friends that have been through it I'm like have fun like you know (laughs) that sounds great um but okay so we're gonna switch gears um because the other big adjustment change in your life is the fact that you're married now um and I I would say this is so funny because like when you left Houston like we were not I remember I feel like I remember talking about this and it just was not thinking about (laughs) yeah I can tell you Yes. I just don't I feel like they weren't thinking about you finding someone and maybe that's just because of the um views at the time that you had on Durham because of how you knew Durham to be. Because again it's like family and like older people, like when she went to go visit in life or like for holidays, it was to visit her family that was maybe a little bit older and things like that. And so like she wasn't doing like the young professional thing. And so I just remember when you called, like like two weeks in and you're like, I remember. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, what? So tell the audience, first of all, like really quickly, like a brief, like how you guys met. Um, And then I wanted to ask you a few questions about uh, marriage.
1: Yeah. So we, I had started residency at the hospital and he worked at the same, he works at the same hospital still. And I was walking through this big atrium trying to leave the the hospital and I see this attractive man just sitting sitting in one of the chairs in the lobby and he's near the door and I have to walk next to him and from my perspective I look at him but then he makes eye contact with me and then I'm just still walking towards his direction because I have to walk right next to him to exit so I'm like oh no at first like I didn't think he would look back at me but then we just kept looking at each other and then I think the next question he asked me, oh, he just asked, hey, can I talk to you? And in that moment, I very clearly remember being like, I could just walk, walk, away. you know how like when guys hit on you <laughs> randomly in public, you kind of, half the, I don't know, half the time I would just walk away. I'm just like, I don't want to deal with this today. But no. I, was, I remember thinking to myself, you know, you just moved here. You don't know anyone your age. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> And so I was like, fine, I'll talk to you. So I go up and say like, yeah, sure, you can talk to me. And then he asks if I'm lost, which at that point I knew he was hitting on because I was definitely 100% not lost and I knew exactly where I was going. Oh and my so God. he said, yeah, you look lost. And I was like, no, I'm going to the garage. But I can't even remember what happened next. But by the end of it, um, I think I had, we'd like exchanged numbers and he told me he wanted me, uh, wanted to show me around rounder. Which was funny because, like you said, I've been to Durham a million times and actually know the city pretty well. So I just like smiled and was like, yeah, sure, you can show me around Durham. Like, <laughs> not knowing that, I was like, I know this city probably better than you do, as he realized very quickly. Um, so we met there. And then the next day he called me, which I guess because of the generation I'm in, I'm such a texting person.
0: I wasn't I used hate to texting.
1: I know you, I just say, Margaret's not a texter, but I would have loved if they called me, (laughs) right? I, I was like, I remember I was in, um, I was on the cardiology rotation. So I was quite literally in the cath lab, like where we do different procedures for the heart. And he was calling me and I was like, I can't pick up the phone right now. Um, and so later we ended up talking on the phone and we talked for something like an hour and a half. And in that conversation near the beginning, he asked me very clearly, like, do you have like. Tell me like what your religious beliefs are like do you love the lord do you love jesus all of that and i was like i absolutely do but i am still like oh my god like who is this guy exactly um but at the end of the conversation it just felt really nice like we connected a bunch and then after that our first date was at a park called fred bond park down in Kerry. and we went kayaking on the lake and we went after kayaking we went hiking around the lake and then he had prepared a picnic for us. So he brought like, he'd made like chicken and fried rice. This and was your first date? Up, first date, had cut up watermelons and peaches and stuff, put them in a cooler in his car, but I hadn't seen it before. And then um, he convinced the guy at the, at the like boating house where we got the kayaks from to let us use his microwave so we could eat a, a picnic there, um, which was awesome. It was a great first date. But I will say this first date was really intense because he was, like, going, like, right to the hard-hitting questions. Like, we, like, asking me about past relationships and heartbreaks and political views, religious views, all of these very private, like, information you wouldn't really usually share on a first date, which is very intense. And I was panicking inside, like, why are you...
0: (laughs) So, okay, I have a question about that. Cause I feel like some people are listening would have two different views on that. Um, yeah. And and real quick before I ask this other question, but cause personally for me, I would like to know, like, I would like you to, I, I think because I'm an extrovert and because I like deep conversation and I don't like super surface level conversation, especially one-on-one in a, especially a social setting. Um, mm-hmm. I would, I would have loved that. Um, but I know like, well, one, my d- girl, Danielle, y'all's a huge, no private. <laughs> but, but, um, and yeah, but what, like, what were your thoughts about that? Cause I think some people are like, that's a lot, you know, to ask on a first date, but you personally, were did you care?
1: In the moment? Absolutely. I was like, Pant, I, don't remember, my heart was racing because he was asking deep questions like you know have you ever cheated in, on anybody um have you ever like I kid you not we were just driving and nonchalantly he asked me so like how do you feel about abortion like really hot button issues that honestly I hadn't even asked most of my what I would call close friends mm, those types of clients. your husband and I love em. I know exactly he, he was I mean he, his police system was like I want to know if we should go on a second date and these are the things that are going to be the deal breakers my opinion though at the moment was like I felt a little bit like invasion of privacy a little bit but then you know it was really freeing I didn't know we did not have mutual friends before we met each other and I didn't know anyone in his life he didn't know anyone in my life so I was like you know what if something bad happens with this it doesn't cause any Problems in other parts of my life. Fair. So I remember we—I'm I'm very vividly remember I was kayaking next to him, and he was asking me about like if I would live with a guy before I got married. Like <laughs> really hard hitting questions. And I remember thinking to myself, like you know what, Danielle, you might as well just be honest. If he wants to be this honest with you, you might as well just be honest. And you know what? If you tell him information that you feel like is kind of private and you don't want him, and you don't want to continue with him, like, it's very simple, you just don't continue dating him, and he doesn't know any of her friends or family, so it's not like he's gonna tell his, you know, it's not like he's gonna go back to his guy friends, and his guy friend's gonna talk to your girlfriend, and like, it becomes a gossipy thing, yeah, and so that was the moment in the date where I was like, Whatever. You know what? I'm gonna play. If you want to play this hard hitting game, I'll just throw it right back at you. Yes. And he was he was encouraging me to ask the same questions. He was not holding back at all from himself either. He was like, here's all my dirty laundry. I want to know your dirty laundry. And you know what? Once I let go, it was the at the end of the night, I was like, this is the best date I ever went on. Because like I know uncomfortable things about you. You know a lot of uncomfortable things about me, but in that knowledge, I feel really confident about, about choosing a second date with you. Yeah. Well, I feel like in the traditional way Americans like to do it, you have to wait till the third, fourth, fifth date to find out all this information. And you've built up this emotional connection with someone. Mm-hmm. Then you find out all this heartbreaking stuff. And we yeah. found that out like first date, which was great.
0: Yeah. So I can appreciate that. And I think, okay, for y'all listening, some of y'all are like, that's too much. That's not me. <laughs> and I know different, different strokes for different folks. I think that's the phrase. Um, but I appreciate that. I kind of like what you said his mentality was of like, I mean, I need to know if I'm going to waste my time going on a second date or not. So I want to know these things. And I think that's really interesting. Um, so anyways, after that day, y'all continue dating. The rest is history. Um, and y'all are married now. What is one of the biggest things you feel like God has showed you about yourself in marriage? And they have been married, um, since February. February, um, but I mean, and you could maybe talk about if there's something top of mind that the Lord really showed you in the dating part, then that's fine too. Um, But what's, just being with uh, your husband now, like what is one of the biggest things you've like learned about yourself and
1: um, like, what has it taught you? I knew I had an idol for comfort, had no idea how destructive it could be. Okay. What do you mean by that? single person i remember so me and margaret went to the same church in houston and there was a time where um our pastor had us pick like what are our predominant idols were i think they were like power or security or comfort like different things like that and i've always known like i'm a comfy person like i don't like things that are too uncomfortable um i like to relax when i want to relax I just like things to feel, I don't want to feel too strange, which is such a funny thing to say. I think we talked about it on the first podcast about how like I'll push myself for things I really like, like becoming a doctor. Like I was fine with being uncomfortable that way. But if you ask me to be uncomfortable in any sense that I don't want to, then I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do that. Which when I'm a single person, it only affects me and any negatives that come from it only affect me. But now that I live with another person who I claim in my marriage vows to be living for, essentially, I'm, he's supposed to be sacrificing for me, I'm supposed to be sacrificing for him. My desire to always feel comfortable and have things feel good for me is actually detrimental to him. It hurts him. It yeah. makes him feel unloved, which I had never thought about. Like when you think about your own comfort oftentimes, or when you think about, when you fantasize about marriage, or at least when I fantasize about marriage, I should say, <laughs> <laughs> I always felt like, oh, I'm going to find that person who is just going to be comfortable with the same things I am and will have the same desires I do and goals I do about life. But he doesn't because he's a human being that's different than me. That's not a character flaw about Obi. It's just the fact that I married another person. Yeah. And I, I've i had to really reckon like how, like how much I'll just want to do something the way that I want to do it because it feels good to me and it's comfortable to me. And how hard it can be for me to decide to just love him and suck it up and be uncomfortable. It's really hard. No,
0: that's, I think that's so good. And I think a big point in that, that you said is it's not a character flaw to him. It's just, he's a human and we, and there are, we're different. Um, I I love that because I think um, there, I think some people can fantasize uh, marriage in that way of like, Or I think sometimes we can fantasize in the way we don't realize we're doing it, but this idea of like, I'm going to marry someone, um, and you know, that I'm just going to always feel comfortable or they're always going to sacrifice for me. And we, we may not say that verbatim, but the way we're thinking about it, uh, says that, you know, and I, I think that's really important of this idea of like, um, you are two very different people who decided to get married and live under one roof. Forever. And because of that, like you are going, like your comfort is going to be tested. Um, And so now having learned or not going through that right now, what are like, what are some like good fruits you've seen from the fact that like you being pushed out of your comfort zone essentially? Like, what are some things that good things about it that you've seen come out of
1: it? One thing that's awesome is that I will often say, like, like I'll have a goal in mind, or not even really a goal, like an aspiration or a fantasy about, like, who I want to become or who I want to be, and Obi will have a really objective viewpoint on how the way that I'm living my life or the way I structure my day or the way I even do things around the house, like, little things like that are not helping me reach those aspirations. And to me, to be brutally honest, I'm the type who will... Probably say or, I guess say, express a desire to be better in certain ways, but am okay with just being comfortable and just <laughs> accepting the fact that I won't meet these goals. And I was okay with that as a single person. Like I knew, like, oh, I may want to be like, I want to work out like six times a week. Like I'd love to be that person, but then I was also fine with just like not. And I <laughs> I didn't feel bad about that. Like I just decided, like, you know what, this is just me. I'm gonna accept that that's who I am. And Obi is one of those like push forward type of types of people. And he will just say like, he'll call me out and just be like, you claim you want these things, but here you're doing X, Y, and Z that don't get you there. And part of me just wants to be like, can you just not care as much as I just decided not to care right now? <laughs> but when I like actually listened to him and the few times I've actually made a conscious choice and been like, I'm going to be really uncomfortable right now and do what he really wants me to do. I find myself achieving things I never thought I could achieve because he's pushing me outside my comfort zone, which I would have never done on my own. Like never, like, because I could have just wallowed in my own solitude and just been like, Oh, I'm never going to reach that. But Obi believes enough in me that he's willing to make me upset (laughs) in those moments to see me reach goals that I otherwise wouldn't have met. Um,
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I, I'm sure there's some saying or phrase or whatever, but I think we've all heard it before. Like, the more I think we go outside of what is comfortable, the more we just grow as people. And I think that's really cool of just learning that like comfort, comfort is not (laughs) when you're comfortable, then there's a very easy chance that you are going to stay like constant, not just in like career or whatever, but just you as a person in empathy and how you like view the world. Like there's, there's not a lot of growth uh, over time you know? And so I I just love that. It's like, now you're growing into things that you didn't think you could do and like maybe wouldn't
1: have done without someone like pushing you in that scenario. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we expand each other also. I don't know if you're going to mention this also from the fact that, so me and Obi are intercultural marriage. So I was going to actually ask about that. Okay. I figured you're
0: going to go there. Yeah. I was going to ask. So how is, okay. So I want to know, um, cross-cultural marriage. So Obi, her husband is Nigerian and Danielle is African American from the United States, all that kind of stuff. And um, y'all have had to learn how to navigate just cross-cultural marriage, which I think is a whole nother thing. Um, even beyond okay, it's one thing like getting married to people that are different. It's another thing getting married to people that are different that function different because of the different cultures that they were brought up in um so briefly talk a little bit about like a kind of the same question but the pros the one of the some of the cons of that are not cons but how it's been hard but also how it's been good yeah
1: one thing i i can always speak really well to myself on these points because obi and i like for even more specific context obi grew up was born in grew up in and lived in nigeria till he was 25 years old so he's not like your kid who came here when he was 12 and, like, knows a lot of American culture. Like, he grew up, like, the way his brain functioned was within his, like, Igbo-Nigerian cultural background, and he has had to learn as an adult in a very explicit way how to kind of adjust what he does so that, or what he does or what he says or how he operates in the world to an American style, at least that is acceptable within American culture. Which I am, like, the polar opposite. So, like, I grew up in the United States. I don't have any family outside of the United States. Like, this has been my whole world. Yeah. And so we are literally, like, totally separate viewpoints of the world. And the way I can best characterize all the little issues that we have is I grew up in an individualistic culture. It's not that we don't love our families. Uh, We do. But we pride ourselves on building individual people, which is a very different distinction from I think a lot of traditional cultures, but I at least can explicitly say his like Ebo-Nigerian culture, family is everything, family is the beginning, family is the end. While I was definitely raised in a culture that taught me that you raise families to create great individuals, that a good parent raises a kid. Like we'll often have a saying that, you know, a parent is raising their child for the day that their parent dies so that they can be totally independent and totally on their own that end goal of individualism is just not there the the crux i think that gets to how we think about how i'm a good wife or how he's a good husband or how we're going to raise good kids and how our in-laws are going to be involved in our children like it just shapes everything about where we butt heads. yeah no i think that's i mean i you know
0: i i'm A lot of Western culture, um, I think, but definitely American culture. I've always said this is very individualistic. And again, there's pros and cons to that because I was born and raised here, but my parents are from um, Uganda and they came here around the same age Obi did. But, um, you know, Ugandan culture too is a lot more communal. Yeah, that unit. And so I think that's really interesting. But yeah, so you said that's kind of where you guys butt heads heads the most. Um, what have you learned, though, in in the positive side of just like being a cro- in a cross cultural marriage? Like, how how has it been exciting, new?
1: I've learned that there is nothing there is nothing that you can determine is normal. There is no such thing that you can say is the normal way of doing anything, um, and that I learned that the most during engagement because. Um, weddings are a great time when two families come together and plan a cultural event. And that's already hard between American families. American family, like I have my friends who will talk about like my mother-in-law wanted these napkins and we wanted these napkins. And like. <laughs> but like we had for example, I think one really um, interesting way this got characterized was his um, like his background is still Christian overall, but his culture has ancient traditional religious beliefs that still are expressed in different ways in their culture now, even though they explicitly identify as Christian. So, for example, they still perform their traditional wedding ceremony in addition to um, going to a church um, and getting married. My family is Christian, I'm African-American, so for us, the marriage and the church are the, the same thing. Yeah. And w- some interesting moments got had where... To my parents, we were married after the Saturday event. The Saturday, the event, Saturday event. We went to the church. like the the Saturday um, what? So we had we got essentially two weddings on Friday and Saturday the whole weekend. Yes. On Saturday, yes. we went to the a church which was actually my grandmother's pastor's church mm-hmm. um, and got married, which is what my parents viewed as us being married. Yeah. However, when we were having discussions between our families, it got realized that his family did not view that as the marriage. The marriage to them happened Friday night. And Friday night was a traditional ceremony So ceremony called the wine-carrying ceremony, um, where basically I find Obi with a glass of wine. We both drink it and we're married that night. Yeah. And to them, we are really married then, and that you go to the church to bless the marriage that has already been created in the traditional ceremony which is like a meshing of Christianity or Western, I should say European or Western Christianity practices, because the current wedding ceremony that we consider the Christian ceremony, is not written about in the Bible at all. It's just yeah. like what Europeans have come up with associated with Christianity. That that was just a blessing. Well, to my parents, that was the wedding. Yeah. And so you could tell when we were having these discussions, it would, um, there was different importance placed on which one was the most important. And I would even have some people explicitly tell me, you know, basically tell me like on Friday night coming up to us, like, by the way, you're actually married. If you say you're married on a the Saturday, then you are accepting Western ideals. You're accepting mm. Eurocentrism and things like that, which, whoo, girl. Yeah, that was I was there. <laughs> we, <laughs> to make it simple, we just waited till after Saturday night to actually <laughs> start living together. <laughs> That's
0: so funny, but no, that's, I think that's really, that's really good to know. Just I like what you said that nothing is the norm because I think also as a culture, um, especially regardless of what culture you're in, sometimes you can, because you've grown up in a certain culture and you've always done things that way, you you can start to get in your head that another culture is inherently wrong um, or the way they do things is wrong. Um, mm-hmm. instead of thinking about no, the way they do things is just different, different. and
1: different.
0: and I think we we can do we can do that as people, and so I think what happens when we do that too is then it affects us on, it affects us in how we embrace culture because it 's like oh they, what they 're doing is wrong, and it 's like but where and us as Christians, like me and you as Christians, I always think of it as like there 's a difference between like what is wrong in scripture? And then what is just a cultural, uh, cultural norm that's different across cultures and learning to disconnect those instead of just saying this is wrong because, um, I haven't done it that way or I haven't grown up that way. And so I really, really like that you said that, and one of the things I'm going to ask you is so if someone's listening and they are dating cross culturally, not necessarily Nigerian or but and just both of them are come from two different cultures, what advice, what is like the biggest advice you would give them in their dating season?
1: Gosh, I have to think about that one. The biggest advice this sounds really and this probably would be more directed if there is one who grew up in the United States like I did. <laughs> It, this might sound harsh, but just, like, get over yourself a little bit. <laughs> like, there's so really, because I had to just do that, because my, my culture teaches me explicitly that we are better than other people, and I didn't really get that until I decided to join my life with somebody who comes from a different culture and thinks about things totally differently, and it took a lot of effort for me to just get over myself and realize, like, you're not that, like, you're not that special, you're not that cool, you're not, (laughs) like, and the way, and, like, the way you do things is beautiful, but it, it, I mean, really bring down the ego, that is going to be your first big step, is just drop the ego down, you, you can recognize the beauty of diversity in different cultures, and actually, you will recognize it better, if you bring down the ego, and I think that can apply to anybody, but I felt like specifically growing up in the United States, we explicitly put that idea in our heads that our yeah. culture is better than other people's Girl. and we are dominant, And it is much more like, it's just much more likely if you're that person in the scenario that you're going to have to really back down because that's what I had to recognize. And I didn't know I felt that way. I think I yeah. told you that one. I was like, I did not realize I, the, the ways in which I was looking at the even little things about like how we did things at home, I would find myself thinking, well, my way is more forward. My way is more advanced. Like terms that are, that when I would read them in old books, I'd be like, oh my gosh, they don't realize how prejudiced they're being. But I found myself having those thoughts and realized like I was ingrained with those beliefs too. And yeah. the first step before I even, because we love to believe, we love to think of ourselves as like, oh, I'm gonna be open, especially nowadays. It's the cool thing to be diverse and it's the cool thing to be open to multiculturalism. But we, I think the thing we haven't talked about is we just also need to back off our egos of our own cultures a little bit. And I think there's something to be said, I, I think in Obi's culture too, in the same, in the same vein, um, but Americans were particularly bad at it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and this is not like a bash on America podcast because obviously we're both Americans and we grew up here. And I
1: love I I really loved growing up here. I love, yes. and I didn't realize how much I loved it till I met someone who grew up differently. I yeah,
0: do. no, I think that's good, and it's funny because I remember a long time ago when I had one of our friends, Carrie, on the podcast. We talked about this idea of um, it's just so funny sometimes how you know we here can. Uh, Be so confident in the way we do things. Yet all those other civilizations have been established and they're a lot longer than America has. And have been doing things for a lot longer than America has. Like we were like, we're the newer country, you know? Like, but at the same time, I think the big thing you said is like ego. Like we just have to learn. And I think you could say this not even just in marriage cross culturally, but in friendships Mm -hmm. in relationships where you might have a boss that is completely from a different culture than the one you're in is like how can you balance okay that how much of this is just my ego of I've decided this is the way I like things or this is the way I've grown up doing things and so it must be this way um you know how much of it is that and how much of it is really like okay maybe we should talk about this and I would Mm -hmm. feel like like you said most of the time it's a lot of this is the way I've done things and I don't want to shift. And I know I'm guilty of that in so many areas yeah. of like, this is the way I've done things. I don't want to shift. This is how I, the culture I've grown up in. So you're wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. Okay. Danielle, I could talk to you for hours. Literally we're at the end of the podca- po- podcast you already. Oh, um, it goes so so fast. uh, well, I'm going to ask one question I do ask in the, where are they now? where are we now? Or sorry, where are they now? You being the person coming back is where do you feel like you see your life in like five, 10 years? Like where, what, if you had, if you just had dreams about your life and they don't have to be these like big extravagant things, but like what, what would you dream for your life and your family in five years?
1: I want to have children. So hopefully by that time we have our babies and... That's kind of the biggest one, and besides that, I mean, that's a lot I mean that's the thing about I think, once you move towards like marriage and family, you realize like those are the things that matter, and yeah, I have thoughts in my head about where I'd want to live and what I'd want to be doing for work and all this stuff, but like I'm hoping that we become fruitful and multiply. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes uh,
0: Yeah. yes, well, and I'm praying that she moves back to Houston um. <laughs> personally <laughs> selfishly <laughs> yeah. because we would love her back here but if you're in Durham I would t- obviously come visit you but um I am hoping that you meet back to Houston okay I am gonna ask you because you asked me if I was gonna ask you so I'm gonna ask you the two things again <laughs> you ready yeah
1: <laughs> did you think about these questions I did. I wrote them down which is why I just looked at my sheet of paper I was like oh gosh what did I say I was okay answer. okay so,
0: if you could go to lunch with anybody, and last time you said, I think your grand, great-grandmother? My grandmother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> your grandmother. Yeah. So, what about now? If you could go to lunch with anybody, who would it be, and why?
1: I, I would do. Obviously, so much of my life has been shaped by the fact that I just got married, and I think I would pick my Aunt Thelma, actually. So, my Aunt Thelma is my, my grandmother, who is Hildred Bernice Sanders, as we talked about on the last podcast. That's her sister. Her oldest sister was named Belma. And the reason I would pick her is I I would really love right now, I'm rec- I'm now recognizing how precious it was to have the wisdom of like previously married friends and people in my life uh, to pour into me when I was single, but now even more so now that I'm married. And so she was actually married to my uncle, Quint. Uh, She passed away, unfortunately, two years ago. Mm -hmm. And my uncle, Quint, is still um, around. He's um, doing great. Um, But they were married for 65 years. And yeah, they were the matriarch and patriarch of our family. And they were the, the most sturdy, one of the most sturdy rocks that we had. And there were a couple times when I was old enough that she would kind of give me little tidbits of advice about being a wife and being a mother. But now that I'm in it, I just would love to just sit and pick her brain about like how, <laughs> how you do that for so long. And um, yeah, I just would love to pick her brain about these things now that I'm there. Yeah, that's awesome. And you're yeah. still, you're still early. So you got so much exactly
0: life to live and learn. And so that is super exciting. Okay, if you can encourage anyone would it be and you know how this works you got to encourage
1: them like they're sitting in front of you okay okay i am going to again in the same stroke i'm gonna encourage my husband actually hubs i hope he listens to this oh i'll make sure you listen (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh Obi, i just want to let you know that you um Gosh, it is, it is so easy to be the wife that God's asked me to be for you because you love sacrificially, not just to me, but to everyone around you. And you show me what real love actually is every single day. Um, I just want to let you know that you may sometimes feel like you're not, you know, reaching certain goals that you have for yourself at the exact time you want it, or the exact way you want it. But I would encourage you anytime you're feeling discouraged to look back at your life and look back at all the places the Lord has taken you and all the trials he's already brought you through and look at even how our relationship is just a Testament to the Lord itself and recognize that he's done it for you once he's going to keep making things work out for you as he always has. And he, um, and you're just, you're just such a blessing to my life and I can't wait to, continue to grow with you and continue to experience your love and I can't wait for us to see you become a dad one day I'm not pregnant but like <laughs> one day I'm excited to see what you grow into to be a dad um and I'm excited to see how you help me become a great mom but you are just the most amazing man that God could have ever blessed me with and I and my family are so blessed to have you
0: I'm over here like oh like <laughs> Y'all, it's just funny because I've known Danielle for so long and the (laughs) girl is in love. Like, this is how I know that there's a difference between like, like there's a real difference when you're in love with somebody because (laughs) knowing Danielle before and just like, it's just the way she She's so <laughs> different now with this in loveness,
1: she's like she's <laughs>
0: lighter, it's just so cute. Um, so yeah, I remember, I, you
1: tell me that you loved
0: me, and I would just look at you. And <laughs> yeah, Danielle was a hard friendship to start with because in life, because Danielle was just so like to herself and like introverted and not did not show like a lot of emotion ever, and so. And I am like, I want to show all the emotion. I want to show I love you and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, with Danielle, I always tell my friends, especially my close friends, like, I love you. And anytime I would tell Danielle that, she would never say anything. (laughs) Literally nothing. (laughs) She'd be like, okay. But I was determined. So I remember the first time that, like, I was like, I love you, Danielle. She was like, I love you too. And I don't even think she realized she said it. And I was like, ha, that's how I know. But now she tells me all the time. I think partially it's because... The she has tapped into emotions since dating obi <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it makes me happy and y'all are so cute well thanks danielle tell all the guests um bye
1: bye thanks so much
0: for listening